Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own. Check out the John Cast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. Student loan debt has become a crisis in this country, and it seems the Biden administration is gearing up to try and help alleviate at least some of that debt. So what should that look like? And shouldn't we be tackling college affordability at the same time as student loan debt? To really dig into this, we caught up with Bryce McKibben. He is the Senior Director of Policy and Advocacy for the Hope Center for College, Community and Justice. This has obviously been an issue in this country for quite a while. Do we have a ballpark idea how much student loan debt is kind of out there right now? We absolutely do, because the federal government holds the vast majority of the student loan debt in this country. Right now, we know the federal government holds $1.6 trillion in student debt for a little over 43 million borrowers. So that equates to about $37,000 per borrower. There's a little bit of private student loans on top of that, a um, couple hundred million, uh, but the vast majority is held by the federal government. And I mean, I know every situation is different, but can you just kind of give us someone who tracks this, talks to people with this, the real world effects of someone emerging from college with, on average, $37,000 of debt that's, you know, pretty locked in? Absolutely. I mean, it can be a real crushing burden, an enormous expense. Uh, Even if you are on one of the payment plans that is set based according to your income, uh, someone right out of college who even manages to obtain a degree, which not everyone does, can shoulder a monthly payment of a couple of hundred dollars. And that could be the difference between whether they're able to get enough to eat or afford ever-increasing costs of housing. and uh, childcare, transportation. We obviously know costs are going up across the country for basic expenses uh, due to inflation. And um, this can be one of the most uh, significant expenses that um, a borrower can face in their uh, in their life. How did we get here? This is a relatively new problem in this country, having this type of uh, of debt. Is it people not understanding what they're signing up for? Is it colleges that have their costs have gone through the roof with nobody really reining them in? Uh, Is there blame for the government? Kind of how did we get to this moment? Unfortunately, the student debt crisis was intentional in many ways. Um, The federal government and colleges together really failed to provide affordable pathways for students. And what you saw was the investment in public higher education in particular starting to uh, decrease over a decades-long period and tuition and fees going up for students really dramatically over the last couple of decades. And the folks who were hit the hardest were low- and middle-income people, uh, folks who you might get some financial aid but generally speaking, you know, don't have the kind of disposable income necessary to, to afford the extreme costs of higher education today. So we've just seen a rapid escalation of the federal student debt crisis um, over the last 20 years. 
uh, a, a massive increase in the in the amount of uh, total student debt and the amount that students are graduating with as a result of not being able to have any other way to afford higher education. Now, when we start to talk forgiveness or trying to get out of this mess, before we kind of talk about what we could see going forward, am I incorrect that the Biden administration has already taken some smaller steps with certain programs? And if I am correct, kind of what have we already seen them do? The Biden administration has been making some progress in getting some borrowers forgiveness and in streamlining some of the programs that exist to get people relief if their school has closed, if their school defrauded them, particularly the predatory for-profit colleges uh, through a program known as Borrower Defense. And they've improved the public service loan forgiveness program uh, and gotten relief to people who are totally and permanently disabled. And you know, they deserve some credit for making progress on, in improving those loan programs. But unfortunately, just only scratches the surface of the total $1.6 trillion problem. You know, we, we can't get our way out of this crisis through a, a few billion here and there when we have a massive amount of student debt held across the country. And so that's what really brings us to this moment where a more broad-based cancellation is under consideration um, by the president and by the administration to help folks get out of the amount of debt that they are that that really affects every borrower across this country. So now let's talk about. I know there, I mean, everybody that's got loan would love to see it completely uh, forgiven. Uh, I don't know how realistic that is. Are we even sure? Because I've I've seen in some corners uh, how much. The president can do by executive order. Uh, It it seems to me in some quarters that's not even settled. Do we have a a grasp of of what power the president has uh, here that he can do? Because unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see anything put through Congress. So it it leaves it to the president, it would appear. Yeah, administrative action is really the only viable route at this point because of the deadlocked nature of Congress and particularly uh, a couple members of the U.S. Senate. Um, so the administration's very clearly looking at providing some level of relief to a large number of borrowers. And uh, I don't think they're considering at all universal cancellation. The president's been pretty clear about that. He said he would not consider the calls for $50,000 in cancellation per borrower. But on the campaign trail, you know, he he was very interested in $10,000 of relief, which had, which originated from a proposal um, you know, made by Congress during the, the beginning of the pandemic. And um, so I think we're looking at a ballpark, you know, between 10 and, and something less than 50 um, per borrower. And right now the administration's also talking about whether or not they should, you know, quote unquote, target that relief, like limit it to people under a certain income level. But that really will introduce such a level of complexity. Uh, that could could end up leaving out some of the folks who are are in need of the most help and in need of this cancellation the most. If I were to make you king of the world, you know, how would you approach this? You know, and let's take full forgiveness off the table, just kind of the parameters of what you're seeing and what's being floated. What do you think would be the best way to make this the most equitable that makes the most impact for the most people? Absolutely. Well, I I think the, the president needs to use the legal authority that's been used in the past for some level of cancellation to provide broad, automatic relief to every borrower, you know, 
a couple tens of thousands of dollars per borrower to really help them uh, get a fresh start on their debt, um, to be able to get ahead from years of mounting interest and fees and uh, help them have a reasonable chance of being able to pay off their debt. And to do so without an application requirement or paperwork or more burdensome processes that we all know can frustrate people that involve you know, needing to hand over your tax return data, um, you know, glitchy government websites that can um, frustrate you in the process. Really, this needs to be an automatic thing. The president needs to use uh, his authority to uh, to reduce and automatically cancel um, student debt for every borrower holding a federal student loan. Do we need to do this hand in hand? I shouldn't say need. Shouldn't we attack? a college affordability because it seems to me if we do something here one time it will really help a lot of people and i think i don't know that we would find ourselves in this big a hole again because i think there's much more wide understanding of what people are getting into when they take this and you know we're seeing community colleges resurge where people can can afford it and still get quality education but if we don't do anything about affordability we're going to kind of just see the hill build up again going forward. So do we need to, it seems to me it's kind of got to be a two-pronged thing if we really want to do this right now. You're you're absolutely right that we have to tackle a forward-thinking affordability as well. Um, the way I think about this is that folks have been waiting for us to fix the broken system of financing higher education for decades. They've also been waiting for relief for the loans that they already took out and are doing their best to, to pay them back, to make progress on their debt and they're struggling. Both things need our urgent attention, but only one thing can be addressed by the president right now using his executive authority. You know, the, the White House deserves some credit for, for putting out a proposal for free community college and trying to lay the groundwork to change the way higher education is financed in this country to bring states back to the table and make things more affordable. And, you know, unfortunately, a couple members of the U.S. Senate were not on board with that proposal and blocked it from moving forward, along with other investments um, in what was the Build Back Better proposal. And until we have a new makeup of Congress, that proposal for making things more affordable going forward is stuck. And unfortunately, folks are going to have to wait, you know, probably a couple more years. Um, who knows how politics shakes out until we have a Congress that can make progress on, on college affordability. But I think it is just critical that we don't wait until that moment, which might be, you know, a decade away to give folks relief on their debt now to be able to provide them a level of economic stability and to reform our student loan repayment and uh, uh, forgiveness programs going forward so that they are working in the best interests of borrowers. In other words, we can't hold up the relief for people who need it now to wait for a dysfunctional Congress to come in and fix the problem in the future. Give me some context. You mentioned, you know, a couple tens of thousands across the board. Um, how many? What would that do? Like, how many borrowers could we see? Because I would imagine for a lot of people, that would be it. A lot of people, that would clear their their debt completely. 
would that help like the vast majority get to zero? Do we kind of have the math on that? Yeah, we do have some math on that. And um, we know that if even $10,000 of forgiveness was offered to all borrowers, we'd clear away roughly a third of the entire federal student loan portfolio. In other words, you'd see you know, one third of all borrowers have their debts canceled out. Now, as you go up the the level, you know, you get to 20, 30,000 per borrower, you have the opportunity to wipe away uh, up to half of all borrowers from the system. Now, obviously, there are people with a lot more debt, you know, um, you know, hundreds of thousands or more, but those that's a smaller proportion of the overall student loan portfolio. Uh, so, you know, at any of these levels between 10 and 50, we're still going to have borrowers remaining in the system and they're still going to need to pay off their loans. But the people most at risk are, frankly, folks with a low, low balance, relative, relatively speaking, you know, less than the average of $37,000. And particularly people who didn't finish college, right? Four in 10 of all people with student debt in the country did not finish college. So they're not getting the benefit of that degree. And those people might have only, you know, $10,000, $15,000 in debt from a couple of years in college, wiping away their debt could be transformational for them, right? You know, just eliminating an entire burden, a financial burden that they have hanging around them and allowing them to focus on investing in their family and affording basic expenses. We need to take a break. We will continue our conversation with Bryce McKibben right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. And we are back continuing our conversation with Bryce McKibben of the Hope Center for College, Community, and Justice. When we talk about forgiveness, are there other things that could be done past just wiping out, or in addition, I should say, either or, you know, uh, reducing the interest rate to zero? Would would stuff like that have a, a an impact, maybe not as great as forgiveness, but if people could just concentrate on the principle and actually make progress, uh, how much would that help? Well, that's been the benefit of this payment pause that we've had since March 2020, that both parties, you know, uh, the former president and President Biden, have extended um, the initial relief that was offered under the CARES Act in March 2020 not only paused all payments, but also set the interest rate to zero for a for all federal student loan borrowers held by directly by the federal government. Now there were some folks who were left out of that relief, unfortunately, who were held by you know intermediaries um, from the old bank-based student loan program. A couple million folks, unfortunately, but the vast majority of federal student loan borrowers have not had to pay any interest and have been able to make payments on their principal for if they want to over the last couple of years. So I do think it's really critical that that pause continue for a period in which people are able to get back on their feet, right? We have this incredible uh, and unfortunate rising costs across the country that people are facing. And, you know, the impact of trying to switch back on a, a dormant student loan program, you know, in August or September and people suddenly having to face a couple hundred dollars, you know, maybe 500 or more a month that they haven't been paying in the midst of rising costs of, you know, food and housing and basic expenses for themselves and their family would be devastating. So I do think continuing that pause until at least early 2023 
is really critical. And I hope the president announces that in concert with whatever he is considering on student debt cancellation to give folks some financial certainty around their payments and around their interest um, and, and some more time to make progress on the principle, like you said. And let's, you know, let's just for purposes of this next question, let's just say 10,000 is is knocked out and a lot of people are freed from the debt. What would that mean quality of life wise for these borrowers, but also for the economy? Because if it is like, you know, 200 plus dollars a month that all of a sudden somebody doesn't have to pay back in federal student loan, yeah, they might save that, but they also might spend that in somewhere else, somewhere else. It seems like it could be good for the economy as well, no? That's great. I mean, this is an opportunity for us to allow folks to spend money in ways that actually create more jobs and actually support local communities in which borrowers live in. If we wipe away the debt for a third or more of all federal student loan borrowers, those are folks who don't have to worry about you know, small expenses um, that aren't going towards their urgent family needs, right? It might be putting gas in the in their car. It might be uh, affording public transit, might be putting, you know, food on the table for their family. Um, and, it, you know, it might be just investments in the local community that are able to, to shop at, you know, small businesses that are able to, um, you know, take care of one another and and just get by, right? Folks are still struggling, even in this period in which we've seen record job growth, people are still struggling with these higher costs due to inflation and they need some help. Um, and wiping away, you know, debt for a, a large number of, of individuals allow them to move on. And another thing is, you know, all, all of those folks who didn't finish college, even with that small amount of debt, they're really a disproportionate risk of delinquency or default. And the consequences of default are just excruciating. We have this really aggressive debt collection system in this country where we take away people's tax refunds and social security benefits and we garnish their wages. And all of that just reduces the amount of income that could go back into the economy um, that could help us uh, address these rising costs that people are facing. And we talked about kind of how we got here but specifically just the cost of college, it seems to me that the college experience is about the same as what it was when I went to college in the 90s, but it's three, four, five times more expensive. Where's that money going? I know every institution, it's different, but I mean, to have something you know, go up that much, but the experience would appear to be the same. Am I not being fair? Like, is it a better, is it more include? Like what, where's the money going? Oh, you're, you're, you're fair that the experience is the same. And frankly, the cost of educating each student has not actually gone up dramatically. Now, certainly the way people learn, right. The amount of technology involved and um, you know, the, 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 the ways in people learn has shifted as, as it always does. But the real question is, and the real change has been in who pays. You know, 30 years ago, the vast majority of the cost of education was paid for by state governments. We invested in public higher education and tuition and fees was a, a small part of that. It was like a service fee in a way, you know, but, but you had states committing to provide open access to their education. And then, you know, for private nonprofit colleges who aren't directly funded, they had to compete on price. 
right? They had to offer things that were they're a little bit, you know, similar to what students were facing in, in public higher education. But now the vast majority of the burden of, of paying that total cost falls on the student and their family in the form of debt and out-of-pocket payments for tuition. And you've seen just a total flip, you know? So 30 years ago, you would have had it be, you know, at least three quarters state and a quarter student. Now it's the opposite. It's three quarter student, you know, one quarter state. And just that's, that's changed that we're, we're outsourcing essentially the cost of financing higher education to the students and families is the source of the debt crisis. And that's why I said it's intentional um, that you've had a policy choice by states and, uh, and, and the folks who, uh, you know, elected members of state legislatures to offload that cost onto families. Um, and in no, you know, small part due to increasing uh, diversity and access of higher education. You know, it's, it's no accident that um, as higher education served more and more students of color, uh, more and more students from low income backgrounds, that states thought, uh, maybe we don't want to fund these students to go uh, to higher education anymore. And, uh, you know, maybe the, 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 when we were willing to provide three quarters of the cost, you know, was predominantly, you know, middle to upper income white males or, uh, you know, folks from middle class background. Now that higher education has become more diverse, you've seen a retrenchment in support. And, you know, we, people who are in higher education today deserve the same commitment that state and federal government provided 30 years ago. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.